The talk is on finding patience. And I'm wondering if you can all hear me. Is it loud enough? Okay. If you can't hear me at any point, if you can put your hand up, because otherwise I don't know and I want you to be able to hear me. Thank you. When we are deeply inside the silence of our own heart, we usually can touch into a very sweet aspiration to be free. And when we touch into that aspiration for ourselves, the heart is boundless. And so it's not that we're only wishing for ourselves, but it's like it's an immediate feeling of wishing all beings to be free. Uh, And even though there are times that we forget that we've made this aspiration. It's this aspiration that motivates us to undertake the suffering that ends suffering. And until all suffering is ended, whether we are aspiring to be fully enlightened or a Buddha, um, this path of purification requires Uh, the softness of patience. When we discover the awakened mind that allows the attention to simply be with things as they are, uh, pure without embellishment, uh, this happens out of the foundation of patience. I like to describe uh, mindfulness as soft readiness. So you can hear in that already that the softness of that readiness is, is this quality of patience. Because the truth is that anything can happen, being ready for anything to happen Um, is why we need to cultivate this patience. And repeatedly we learn to face ourselves and others, our agreeable and disagreeable aspects, with the intention to understand rather than to judge or to blame. If we know that this is worth doing, if we know that this is worth everything, um, then the cultivation of patience can become a priority in our practice. Finding patience can only be done with present-time awareness, and it's not so helpful to focus on how long this spiritual journey takes. Step-by-step, the deeper layers of aversion and attachment and delusion are seen clearly as empty, not worth being clung to. In the process of our practice, we understand that purification and liberation do happen. And we learn to trust our love of the truth over our fear of opening to the pain in the world. When I started this um, 
a recent renewal of a reflection on patience. Um, I realized that I never liked the word patience. You know, it's like when I hear the word, something in me closes down. So in reflecting on that, I thought about, you know, as a, as a child, like when I was told, you know, be patient or patience is a virtue, I would relate to these words in the same way, you know, that we might hear, eat your spinach, you know, it's good for you. Um, or, you know, in the um, devil's dictionary, I looked up the, the word patience in the devil's dictionary, and it described patience as a minor form of despair disguised as a virtue. <laughs> you know, and isn't that, in a way, like, that's how we learn this. You know, it's good, you know, be patient. It's a virtue. Um, but it's like we grin and bear it, and uh, it means that we're holding out for something better. You know, it's, it's really based on a waiting for something better to happen in the future. Or it means that it's, you know, really what, what I learned patience meant was that it's best to numb out, repress, and avoid any difficult feelings concerning the disagreeable aspects of life. And from a Buddhist perspective, this isn't what is meant by the parami of patience. So this talk is about the development of the parami of patience. And in the Theravada tradition, the perfection of patience, Kanti, is the sixth of the ten paramis. It's, it's really so interesting to, to um, look into what is meant by a parami, because of course we know that parami means these perfections of um, purity or conduct over lifetimes. Uh, but how it's seen in a Buddhist perspective is that, is that the parami, each parami is serving as a vehicle for, for an individual to um, attain the threefold bodhi, which means that they're, you know, depending on your motivation, the parami is serving as a vehicle to become uh, fully peaceful or happy, an arahant complete understanding. Or it means that we have um, uh, want to become a silent Buddha, a Pacheka Buddha, it's called. That's the second of the three. And the third would be that we, we would like to become a, a Buddha. So it's said that each parami, um, walking side by side, each parami is the clarity of wisdom, and the softness of compassion. And, and this is so important when we reflect back on how we have heard the word patience, for example. You know, it's, re- it's really so different if we start going into the deeper layers of what um, is meant by patience in the context of um, awakening. <coughs> So patience in this case is motivated by our our healthy desire for inward and outward peace. And it's also motivated by our increasing faith in our own ability to be with things as they are. 
You know, and I find this so critical, you know, that as we practice, that we see that patience melts resistance so that we can open and accept things as they are. Impatience is wanting things to be different than they are. One of the things I loved in researching um, patience from that um, traditional Buddhist perspective, uh, it said that patience is the mother of the paramis, and equanimity is considered the father. You know, if, so if you think of you know, the mother and father producing a child, <laughs> the child would be awakening, peace, happiness. So this is no small uh, description of a parami to say that it's the mother, because that means it's the mother of our practice. Kanti, or patience, has three aspects. Gentle forbearance, calm endurance of hardship, and the acceptance of the truth. So the first is gentle forbearance. And as I reflected on gentle forbearance, I found that um, it helped me to see that (laughs) not only myself, but others, are actually much more patient than I thought. You know, that in the human world, as I explain this, you'll follow me. But I, when I reflected on patience, I kind of saw how much we are being patient. And on the other hand, <laughs> how impatient we are, all in kind of looking at these three aspects. So in terms of gentle forbearance, um, I was speaking with my um, middle niece, Tracy, about what she thought patience was on a day that she was having a pretty hard time with her children. And she said, well, you know, patience is really holding my breath (laughs) and not exploding and screaming, you know, when I'm just losing it as a mother. And when you look at patience being like a mother, one of the ways that I see patience is, is just this ability that we are doing a lot to just pause and take a few breaths and not explode with anger you know, or not you know, take an action that's unskillful. It may be that you're, a lot of you in this room are in silence, but you, know, you can easily um, have things come up when you're quiet about things that we've said that are unskillful. Um, that's one of the powerful aspects of being on retreat is just uh, seeing how casual we can be with our speech and um, not really taking the time to pause and realize how much pain we cause through our speech. You know, so say we're in an interaction with somebody, it can be at a meeting, it can be anywhere, but we have a response that is just so brilliant. You know, it's some retort that is, can be sarcastic or, you know, just some way that we can really say something. But again, we've, we've restrained ourselves. 
And so just, again, I think you have to give yourself a lot of credit over a lifetime for a lot of the times that you have paused. This is important because it is something that accumulates over lifetimes. And if we don't recognize this, we don't really see how much patience we're really cultivating or finding in our day-to-day lives and on retreat. One of the aspects of gentle forbearance is the spirit of forgiveness. And so what I... I took a communication class this past fall, and one of the things we were taught, which I thought was so beautiful, was that um, we're often harmful with our speech when we don't try to understand the suffering of another person. And isn't that beautiful? It's so simple, but it's just like, I think often in communication, especially when we get triggered, that we're often aware of our own suffering and we're ready for, again, we're ready for the next thing we are going to say. But again, this is, this is just reminding us that it's that ability to pause and really see if we can walk in the shoes of the other person for a few moments you know, so that we have that intention, again, to understand rather than to blame. If we follow this line of um, reflection, then we can see that gentle forbearance is um, a critical aspect of patience because it's the cause for restraint. And we, we learn to pause, discern, and choose what action is the most skillful in the moment. And this is really the ability to taste the freedom of making the choice to be peaceful. And to know that you know how to do that. In terms of... Um, day-to-day practice, you know, one of the aspects of practice that I find really intriguing is this art of learning how to rest the attention skillfully with concentration, and then the ability to explore the truth, which requires momentary concentration. And I think that... um, As you go deeper in your practice, the more you discover about this, this art of resting and exploring, resting and exploring. So no matter where we are in the practice, there are times when we need the pause button, when we're getting caught in something. And it's, it's remembering, sometimes if we're deep in the practice, it's often um, humbling uh, and we, we, it almost feels like we're going, you know, like we're, it's some kind of step backwards <laughs> to, to have to anchor the attention with the breath. And it, it's really important to see that that's not going backwards. That's, that's a response in the moment to do what's skillful. And, and it, it's that ability to receive, receive life, receive the movement of the breath that spirit of beginning again, just um, that patience of pausing (coughs) and receiving the birth 
and the life and the death of a breath. And to know that that practice can take us all the way. It's that simple. So we see that that ability to receive requires this patience. It's, it's just this movement, literally, of settling back and receiving, whether it's a sound or a pain in the knee or a thought, you know, whatever it is, an impatient thought, <laughs> receive, letting an impatient thought come and go by itself rather than thinking we have to get rid of impatience. I noticed when I was reflecting on um, impatience and patience that um, it was often when I was believing judgments about myself or others that I was the most impatient. So you might check that out. Um, that, That art of just simply resting by receiving the movement of the breath or a movement of a step um, helps us to get enough space so that we can let impatient thoughts or judging thoughts come and go by themselves. Suzuki Roshi explained that after you practice for a while, you will see that it is not possible to make rapid, extraordinary progress. You know, and I think that sometimes we forget that that includes other human beings. You know, it's hard enough to accept that in ourselves, yeah? You know, that we're not making this, you know, full-on uh, striving accomplishment, you know, that we think we should be able to do. But I think a real important part of that is remembering that other humans are going really slow, too, <laughs> at this at this that spiritual unfolding. (laughs) I have always felt that wisdom is the gradual lowering of expectation. (laughs) You know, and once we start to get that that's what wisdom is, including others, then the practicing of kindness for ourselves and others, you know, becomes really um, clearly essential. (laughs) And I think that being able to, whether it's our own unskillful behavior or um, someone else's, that being able to tune into our own core goodness, to really distinguish between uh, core goodness and somebody's behavior or our core goodness and our behavior, you know, this is really patience. Again, it's just amazing as you start to reflect on patience how um, it's, it's like it's infusing all these aspects of practice, whether it's loving kindness or um, mindfulness, that, that it's really that. It's what's holding us, the softness. So serenity and calm develop as we learn to accept our imperfection, as we start to let life be. Humor, 
I think that we tend to lose our humor when we're impatient. <laughs> you know, and, and often, you know, blame will start to seep in and poison the heart. Um, and I just want to give a little example of this. It's, it's a, in a, a kind of innocuous one, but when I was in Burma this year teaching, uh, there's a, an older monk that lives at Sayadaw Ulakana's monastery. Um, and he doesn't get a lot of attention except that when we're there, it's like he really feels like he fits in with kind of us Westerners better than he does in his own Burmese culture. And he just loves it when we get there. You know, he's just so happy. And he just thrives on being with us. And a lot of it is that we have a lot, we have a lot of humor, right? We kind of sit around and laugh a lot. Um, not the whole time. <laughs> but anyway, he's, as he's getting older, he's starting to have a lot of physical ailments. And I think, again, that he's not getting to really talk about it with other people. Um, and so when we go off to visit, like, a, a Sayadaw in the hills, or, you know, when we go off, he always comes with us. And he sits, like, next to, it's, it's appropriate, he'll sit next to the Sayadaw, or he'll sit next to this monk, or whatever, that's, that's how you do it. And the lay people are sort of off to the side a bit. And um, some of you might know Usumana, Jake Davis, was translating for us when we would go off and visit some of these Sayadaws in the hills. Um, and one, one day, there's a Sayadaw that I really wanted to talk with. Like, I just, I had some questions I wanted to ask him, and I don't usually have much time. And so, you know, that's already a setup, right, for something to get, some part of me to get impatient. Um, and so, <laughs> Usumana Jake would start to um, translate my question to the Sayadaw. And this monk would go, So, my knee. And he'd start talking about what was wrong with his knee. You know, for a really long time, you know, and I'd just like, okay, you know, okay, his knee. You know. And then, like, he'd finish, and then I, I'd, like, repeat my question. And, of course, it, not only that, it has to go through a translator, right? And, and so when I would ask the question again, and this monk would go, so, my back. And <laughs> I'd be like, oh, no, you know. And, and, and then this is just, like, he did his whole thing about the back, and we were almost out of time. And I was like, ah! <laughs> I tried again. One more time, I tried the question again. And, and, <laughs> and she said, so, my nose. <laughs> and I was like, oh. You know, <laughs> it's just like, I lost my sense of humor. You know, it's just like, I just couldn't deal with it. And, and you know, it was all just because I wanted what, you know? What, what was it that I was needing that was so much more important than I could see that he just needed this attention? And, and it's, it's just like, once I kind of figured it out, you know, it was okay. <laughs> After a while. <laughs> so that... Um, Again, that's an, a more, you know, it's a less 
difficult example of kind of settling back and pausing and trying to have some sense of humor with how things are. But, but really, that's how it is with patients. It's like, and no matter what it is, it's like there's a way in which we're getting caught. And that, um, there's so many examples of this. But another description that I love of the word patience is that it's non-oppositional. You know, just just to think of just how that feels, that, you know, that the patience brings this non-oppositional energy to what's happening. Um, and I think that one of the places I notice that I get the most um, impatient is when I get caught in major traffic jams in Honolulu. And recently I had this experience where I was picking Steve up at the airport, and it was... Uh, there was a really bad storm, and I, it was three hours, you know, in, on the highway, and we have this standard car that has a, a really tight clutch, and after an hour, we were just, it was like, just, you, it wasn't like you were stopped, totally, it was like, inching along, it was just like, it, it, what usually takes 25 minutes took three hours, and it, the whole way it was like, and after an hour, my leg was cramping up, and I had a big cup of tea before I left. And you know when you have to pee really bad? And it's just like, it's so painful, right? You know, and it's like, you know, I knew we were in for it. And, you know, what do you do? <laughs> and it just, to, to bring mindfulness to having to pee, you know. And this isn't like sitting in the hall and you know you have 45 minutes or an hour. This is just a long time. And I just, again, you watch that relationship between, you know, what helps? Screaming, wearing, yelling, you know, giving up, resignation, you know, and then just being with the physical sensations of having to pee. It's okay. You know, it's, it's that um, non-oppositional energy to what is. And seeing that if we're wanting, it's basically the same old thing. If we're wanting things to be different than as they are, that we suffer. The second aspect of patience is the calm endurance of hardship. The Buddha said that the world rests on suffering. And that's so beautiful. The world rests on suffering. And, and patience um, in, this, in the second aspect is really coming to terms on deeper and deeper levels with dukkha. And, and then we see that because of the profound momentariness of, of life, you know, that this uncertainty of dukkha exists. You know, and I, I think in my, my retreat this, this time, one, I, I tend to be more of a dukkha walla, um, but I just just to notice that place where um, our vulnerability it, it's it just it has that aching quality, you know that we all know so well when we practice that that um, it beca- it's like this unbearableness of the vulnerability. It's so interesting to explore that, and, and it's again just seeing that there's this. Um, ungraspability to moment-to-moment experience. 
you know, and, and even you know, even when we have very deep wisdom, you know, that there's these places where we just can't bear just that vulnerability. And to to me, there's this great um, kind of phrase that, that I learned years ago um, from a from Krishnamurti's journals. But he described this quality of, of, of dukkha or vulnerability as um, a new green leaf, you know, just a newborn spring green leaf. And that this, you know, that, that, that the practice of mindfulness is just to be that sensitive, sensitive as a newborn. And that, that, that we're really here to open to the darkness, the rain, the storms, and the light. And as, as we all know, it's the resistance. <laughs> it's the resistance to this unreliability that um, causes us so much suffering. In terms of patience, um, it's very important to understand that the endurance of suffering doesn't mean suffering, suffering silently and complacently and using it as an excuse not to do anything to alleviate the vast range of pain in this world. So sometimes we misinterpret patience to be passive. But patience is meant to be motivated by our willingness to be interested in and explore the pain in this world because it's part of our experience of life. And as, as we all know, uh, gentleness is so important in this process of opening to pain. Instead of forcing ourselves to accept the unacceptable, we see that it's important to recognize and accept that resistance does happen and that that's okay. So rather than trying to get rid of the pain, we, we learn to shift to the willingness to explore the unpleasant or neutral aspects of life that we find unacceptable or unbearable. And just to mention again that that's part of the resting of the mind with concentration in the practice, that ability to anchor with something neutral, to find that neutrality in practice as a way to have an elasticity or flexibility with pain so that we don't have to be in it all the time, that we have a choice to move away from it if we need to, to build up the rest and strength to then open to it again that that's, that's a wise choice to make. It's not an avoidance. When I came back from Burma, I called my um, middle niece that was having trouble with her kids that day, and my five-year-old niece got on the phone, uh, Brenna, and she'd just been on vacation, and she'd just had her first day of school which was probably why her mother was having such a hard time with her, because you know how you hate going back to work after vacation or going you know, back to um, life after sitting, you know, whatever. You know, we, we tend to enjoy that time off. So she gets on the phone, and the first thing she said to me is, 
I hate school. And she's five years old, right? And I was just the same way, which is, you know, so painful to see her going through it again. So I said, oh, that, you know, I tried to be empathetic and not too encouraging. But, you know, I think I'll wait till she's eight before I really say, yeah, it really is boring, isn't it? You know, <laughs> so she said, I hate school. And I said, oh, that's too bad. You know, why do you hate school? It's so boring. Um, and I don't know, some of you might have missed the movie Finding Nemo, but it was a great animated uh, film recently. Um, that It's about uh, young fish. <laughs> young <laughs> fish named Nemo. Um, <laughs> raise your hand if you didn't see the movie. <laughs> well, Nemo... Um, runs off uh, away from his father. His name is Marlon. Um, and the, the, the story is really about all the obstacles that his father goes to try to find Nemo and liberate him. Um, and they, they go through so many dangers. Like, I, I was amazed when I first saw it that kids can handle it. I could barely handle it. It was like obstacle after obstacle. It was just so painful. Uh, and there was a, um, other fish in the uh, movie, Dory, that um, her, the father met on this journey to liberate his son. Um, and she had no ability to read. She had no short-term memory. And it was just hilarious just to watch. She just had absolutely no short-term memory. Uh, but she was great. You know, She was really helpful in the long run. So at one point in the movie, which, you know, of course, this happens. It's like it was one of the most dark times and both of them, Dorian, the father had given up on finding Nemo and they were just in the pits of despair, you know, but she can't, this, this fish that has the short-term memory problem, she can't remember even that they're in the you know, pits of despair it's great, you know, she just can't remember anything, and so she's like what do you do when life gets you down? <laughs> you know, when life gets difficult, she's like, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. And the father's going, don't say that, I can't stand it. And she just couldn't stop because she can't remember that there's despair. And it was just so interesting to watch the father getting madder and madder at this fish for saying, what do you do when life gets you down? <laughs> you just keep swimming, just keep swimming. But it's true. You know, what do you do when you're walking and you just can't bear it anymore? You just keep walking, you just keep walking. You know, you're sitting here, you know, what do you do when you just keep, <laughs> you just keep sitting? You, you know, what do you do when you're driving and you have to pee and you can't get out of the car? You just keep driving, <laughs> you just keep driving. I mean, you know, it's just like that's how life is. It's really funny. So I, <laughs> I said to my great niece, you know, Maybe you can try to... I said, do you remember this part of the movie? And she said, yes. And I said, maybe when you're in school, when it gets really boring, you know, see if you can try to find some way to just keep swimming, just keep swimming. And this was in early February that um, we had this conversation. And I didn't tell her mom that we had this conversation. <laughs> and I went to see her just before I started sitting. Let's see. Where are we? April. Yeah, early March, and um, her mom said to me, you know, 
Brenna's really not bored in school anymore. You know, and I didn't say anything. I just thought, that's interesting. Um, and what was quite um, actually more interesting for me is that because her energy, my great niece, is so similar to mine, and I started just exploring when I get bored. Um, I figured if I'm telling her to do it, maybe I should try it more too. <laughs> and I started to see how I, I miss that I get really impatient when I get bored. And I just would encourage you to look. You know, it's just like I, I miss it and then I, I get distracted. And this has been a whole opening for me, you know, from having this conversation with my niece about her being bored in school. So just, just explore that. Uh, it's been really helpful for me. We, we tend to not investigate boredom. You know, it's textures, it's sensations. And often we discover depression or resistance or um, numbness or the lack of attention. And you know, when we feel stuck in, in our relationships, in projects, on our spiritual journey, um, investigating boredom is, I think, one of the biggest keys to being able to um, start letting the, like, the stream start flowing again when we feel stuck. We can often conclude when we're feeling um, bored, that we're wasting our time. Uh, And again, patience allows us to pause, relax, and investigate. This might not be complete acceptance, um, but we've shifted from impatience to interest. And again, when you look at the um, importance of patience uh, in the the practice and in life, again, that, that, that ability to go from feeling stuck or bored to interest <laughs> is, is pretty significant and amazing. Albert Einstein described his own search to understand the fundamental laws of the universe in this way. He said, the years of anxious searching in the dark with, the, with their intense longing There are alternations of confidence and exhaustion and final emergence into the light. You know, and I think, you know, I just have such deep respect for you for being here for such a long time. And when we are, I think that we often have to face aspects of hopelessness and hope. you know, that seeing these subtleties around investigation of hopelessness and hope, uh, and 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 that how that affects our confidence and exhaustion, and to remember that like this human search for the truth is is really it requires enormous um, reservoirs of inspiration. You know that we we do go through these really um, intense periods of longing confidence and exhaustion and final emergence into the light again and again and again. When I was looking at um, 
how patience affects my moment-to-moment mindfulness. Um, when I started looking a little bit more deeply into this parami, I started to see how um, when I was leaning into the next moment, you know how we just <laughs> do that? It's like this just leaning into it a little bit. You know, that, that patience was really what enabled me to settle back. You know, and, and it might not be that you feel like you're rushing around, but really I think that when you're on retreat, you start getting a sense more um, of a level of our wiring in our body. Like I was noticing at this retreat again that I was on just um, levels of relaxation and how you know, there's just that place in us that can start leaning ahead um, and how painful that is. And then not to judge it, but learning how to just settle back into the moment. And one of the phrases that helped me in this um, was to just ask myself, what would patience mean right now? And I found that to be the most helpful um, of anything that I did in this exploration of patience. Just every once in a while, what would patience mean right now? And whether I was eating, you know, or walking or whatever, just just if you're interested in in working with this parami a bit, that that's that's all it would take for me uh, to settle back in to my moment-to-moment experience. And it's like patience gives us time. It gives us back our life. And I I was just so amazed um, to think about our culture and to see how little time we have for patience. And, you know, like yesterday, I started to come out of retreat a bit, and I just got bombarded with all this stuff to do. I mean, just unexpected. I kept noting variables, variables. Like, uh, I had all these plans of how it was supposed to go yesterday, you know, so that I would come out smoothly and not, you know, have my head explode. But it just, like, just, just endless variables <laughs> kept arising so that it was much busier and busier than I thought it should be, that I thought it should be. That's the, that's the critical piece. But one of the most interesting ones was um, before I left Honolulu, I was out in this downpour with a cell phone in my pocket, and the cell phone died. Um, and the day that I had to come to Massachusetts was the day the cell phone died. And a friend of mine there um, gave me his cell phone on the ride to the airport. And he actually switched the phone numbers in the car as we were driving to the airport. He's really good at stuff like that. And just part of the story is that I'm really not good at this stuff. Like, I'm, I don't even know how to... Um, I can't do anything on the phone but, like, press send. Like, I can't do anything else. So... Okay, that's just to give you that little detail. So, um, <laughs> okay, so I had to ask Marilyn during my retreat. This is complicated, but he bought me a new phone because he thought he could fix my phone, and he tried, and it kind of spurted for a while, and then it died. So he bought me a phone, and he, like, really wants a new cell phone, so he wanted my phone. <laughs> 
so he put his phone number on the cell phone he bought, thinking that he could kind of get away with that. But he, I couldn't let him, you know. So, but then I offered to buy him a new cell phone anyway. But anyway, he to make a long story short, I had to send his phone to him. Marilyn sent it, and then he sent my new phone <laughs> with Steve because Steve just came for a guiding teacher meeting. But his phone number was on this phone, right? And he was all upset on my message machine for days. I didn't answer it, but for days there were messages saying, um, "You've got when you get the cell phone, you've got to deactivate it or something, right? So I'm coming out of retreat, you know, and the guiding teachers want me to go to a meeting that I didn't expect. It was just on and on and, okay, deactivate the phone, you know. That's just like, it's incomprehensible to me. So he... He walked me through it, like I called him, and he's upset, right, because his phone won't work until I deactivate this phone, which makes no sense to me. So he, call, he gives me these numbers I have to call, and I don't have much time, okay? So I'm, I call this lady, and it took two hours. <laughs> it was incredible. It was after he came to the house, sure. You know, and I was like, at, after an hour, I was like, I don't have patience for this. And I've been, I've been working with cultivating this quality of patience, right? And this thought came through, I don't have patience for this. And, and I was just like, oh. And this is how powerful, actually. I just, I'm sharing this more to just share how powerful reflecting on patience is because what I learned is that when I'm impatient, I don't have time. And the more impatient I am, the less time I have. And the second I, I get, oh, wait a minute, because this is how powerful this, this, this practice has been for me this month, I go, oh, wait a minute, I have all the time in the world. You know, that's what patience does. It's like you settle back into the timelessness of now. And when you settle back into that timeless of now, you have all the spaciousness you need. You know, and this is, this is not just what happens for us in retreat. It's like our day-to-day practice. It's like amazing to me how patience gives us life. It gives us the moment. It gives us time. It's, it's really extraordinary. I find that gratitude and contentment arise when I can really receive life and that Life is dissatisfying when I can't really taste the diversity of each moment. You know, and, and, and really think about this, because we tend to want moments to be more of a monoculture, and to, that, that I think that patience allows us to really receive the vast range of change, diversity, in our moment-to-moment experience. So there's a richness of life um, that comes from, from the space of serenity. And the other aspect of this in regard to the second aspect of patience is really I also saw how much patience allows us not to need to know what's going to happen next. You know, and, that, and that's another aspect, of course, of dukkha, because, because life is unreliable. We tend to want to plan the future, yeah. 
<laughs> and I mean, you know, you'd think that if you're on a long retreat, the planning might go down. <laughs> but it doesn't always. It, you know, it can go up and up and up. Uh, so just to, to, when we can really be with our, the vulnerability, that just that pure vulnerability of dukkha, we don't really need to know what's happening next. Hmm. The third aspect of patience is the acceptance of the truth. You know, and I, there's a lot of ways to try to address this, um, and I can't cover all the ways that I would like to. But I think that for me, and the most important aspect of this is really understanding time from a very radical perspective. You know, we have to really grasp that w- wisdom and compassion evolve over time. And, and, and I think some of these, like the bodhisattva stories, you know, where we learn that, um, you know, the Gautama, the, the, the Buddha that we're still in the dispensation for, it took him four incalculable eons. <laughs> just, just kind of try to get that. Four incalculable eons to ripen into Buddhahood meaning that he was cultivating the parami of patience for, for that long. So if we're not fully enlightened next week, you know, it's to, it's to remember that um, holding the, the long, enduring mind um, is sweet. It's like um, to know that really good, important, noble things take time to develop is a wonderful thing to understand. When we can receive that teaching, I think we get less caught in being overly insistent and demanding and frustrated. Um, we sense when to act, when not to act, when to speak, when not to speak. And it, it's like steadfastness isn't meant to be a harsh discipline or, again, like an endurance test. But it's really a kind of constancy that, that means that we're present for the long haul of our own spiritual practice as well as others. I found that for myself, um, the, the place in my life and practice that has required the most patience has been um, self-hatred. So you might look at yourself and really um, kind of see what it is that has required the most patience for you in your life. And to maybe be grateful for that as a way of teaching yourself patience, you know, of finding patience in this lifetime. And so when I first started to see how easy it is for me to go down into the pits of despair from where, you know, just lower and lower self-esteem and worthlessness and you know, just like it's so easy for me to go into those black holes. Um, I appreciate when I look back over my life, just 
even though it's been very gradual, that this is changing. You know, that, that it's required an enormous amount of patience. But also, I, I feel like I really can say, you know, if I can do it, you can do it, in terms of this particular aspect, because it's been so, so hard for me. And when I first did a metta retreat, um, to be able to say the phrase, you know, may I be happy just as I am, may I be peaceful with whatever's happening, may I love myself completely, really came out of um, having to have a patience around not having loving kindness for myself. I have found that those phrases mean that you're bringing the mother and father together. It's like you're bringing the equanimity, the unconditional acceptance, as well as the loving kindness together. And, you know, really, when you look at some of the vicissitudes of life, whether it's, you know, you know, the, the death of a loved one or the ending of a job or relationship or a parent with dementia or, what, you know, whatever we have to be patient with in life, you know, that um, finding some way to bring in, uh, (laughs) you know, a softness, again, the softness of patience is how wisdom and compassion evolve over time. As you can imagine, there's a lot that I want to say about um, that, and uh, I'm going to just check and see. Yeah. There's a, many different metaphors of awakening in nature that are used, you know. So, for example, you know, the, even the Buddha statue didn't appear originally, you know, like the, the idea of an awakened one or a fully enlightened being. Buddha was really just a tree, the image, you know, or a, a footstep. Um, and... In terms of the long-enduring mind and having patience with that, that process of, that Einstein described of longing, um, confidence, and exhaustion, and final emerging into light, the, the metaphor of butterfly can be very helpful for us, I think, in terms of transformation worm to cocoon to butterfly and to remember that if you're in the cocoon stage that it's really meant to be a time of of opening to suffering Um, and and, uh, waiting and that that's okay and that if you if you do rip the cocoon open as we all know if we're impatient and we rip it open uh, the, the the wings aren't strong enough to fly. You can't develop the ability to transcend. Uh, and it, this this process of um, worm, cocoon, butterfly, it just doesn't happen once. 
So if you're in a place in your practice where it's more effortless and smooth, which is great, that's the butterfly stage, it doesn't stay there. It can't. At some point, if you're going to grow, it'll, it'll shift again. Um, and that's important to remember. It's like whatever stage we're in with it, that um, we try to learn to be patient with whatever stage we're in. Somebody said to me recently, like, why, just, why can't it all be effortless? <laughs> you know, and, it, and it's great when it's effortless, it's effortless. <laughs> and when it isn't, it isn't. You know, so it's, it's really helpful. You know, for most, for most humans, it's a mix. Sometimes it's effortless and sometimes it isn't. So I'd like to end uh, this talk on finding patience with a uh, poem by Mary Oliver called Luna. Uh, but first reminding you that those three aspects of patience are uh, gentle forbearance, the calm endurance of hardship, and the acceptance of the truth. So Luna, in the early curtains of the dusk, it flew, a slow galloping, this way and that way, through the trees and under the trees. I live in the open-mindedness of not knowing enough about anything. It was beautiful. It was silent. It didn't even have a mouth, but it wanted something. It had a purpose, and a few precious hours to find it, and I suppose it did. The next evening, it lay on the ground like a broken leaf and didn't move, which hurt my heart, which is another small thing that doesn't know much. When this happened, it was about the middle of summer, which also has its own purposes and only so many precious hours. How quietly and not with any assignment from us or even a small hint of understanding, everything that needs to be done is done. So let's sit for a minute. May all beings know the ending of suffering. Thank you. It's wonderful.